Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi there, everyone. I'm your host, Bram Connolly, and this is my podcast. Each week, I tackle a theory, unpack a skill, or answer questions on one of the themes of leadership, resilience, or human optimization. I truly believe that positivity is contagious. After all, have you ever seen anyone successfully lead through negativity? If you have, then let me know because it'll be the first time that's ever happened and I need to interview that person. That'd be hilarious. I also believe... Everyone should seek challenges to build their personal resiliency. You know, by continually seeking new frames of reference through learning new skills and attempting things they could just possibly fail. Or in my case, by actually failing a lot. And finally, I know there's smarter ways for us to be better at being human. And so I want to seek these scientifically proven ways by speaking with athletes, academics, and people who strive for greatness in their chosen fields. So, this then is the Warrior You podcast. It's a podcast devoted to the warrior within and the physical warrior you were born to be. Join me on this path and together we'll learn more about leadership, resiliency and human optimization. I promise. Before I get some random person to read out this week's podcast review, I want to say a few words about my sponsors and also give you some discount codes for their amazing products. Firstly, Aussie Strength. Righto. These guys have been behind the Warrior You podcast from the very, very beginning The team at Aussie Strength have provided financial support to the podcast and also equipment to me personally. Not only that, they've also been there for me to ask them business ideas. They're a great veteran-owned business in their own right, and they are crushing the business-to-business gym fit-out scene, and they deliver direct to the public too. They actually have a dedicated Warrior U page on their Aussie Strength website, so go check it out for amazing deals on tactical weight training equipment. That's www.aussiestrength.com.au. .au forward slash warrior you forward slash and this week I'd like to also shout out Ironside Coffee. Most of you know I love a coffee. In fact my sister told me to stop posting coffee pictures on Instagram because it was boring. So as a result we're no longer related. Ironside Coffee is another veteran owned business. They have a coffee van in Canberra and they deliver fresh coffee direct to your door anywhere in Australia. Well, not a coffee, but, you know, beans. So basically the same thing. You just got to make the coffee yourself. I'm super honoured to be an early part of their marketing strategy. And I really want this business to grow. So please do help me to help them, okay? Check them out. Ironside Coffee. And if anyone else would like to sponsor the Warrior U program, reach out to me directly, bram at warrioru.com.au. Joel Vanderswan, welcome to the Warrior U podcast. How are you? Great, mate. Uh, pretty happy to be here. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for coming along. I'm really, I'm really pumped about this because I think you've got an amazing story to tell. Um, you know, what I want to talk about primarily is your ability to set goals for yourself, but that, that comes from a pretty horrific experience. Um, so you were in the Navy for, for four years and then, and then you went on a motorcycle ride and it changed, changed your whole world, didn't it? Yeah, so... I was in the Navy as a Marine technician, joined up when I was 17. It's all I ever wanted to do. Mm. And um, 
as you do, you get expensive toys and maybe not, I guess, the the most experienced on a bike. I have been riding my whole life, but obviously not a high-powered bike. And yeah, hit a parked car at 150 k's an hour. And um, right then, that moment sort of threw my life into, I guess, turmoil for forever. It um, This doesn't end. That crash will never leave me. So I've just had to learn to overcome and um, and go from there. And I guess that's what we'll touch on a lot of today. Yeah, so it never... You, you, that's a really interesting point you make. So that crash will never end for you. Okay, so I guess uh, there's no real defining moment until I came out of the coma. But what I what I do remember was a few minutes before I was um, for anyone who knows Sydney, I was on the Tom Ugly's Bridge uh, down here in um, the Shire, and I was just cruising home. I was about 500 meters from home, and uh, I just remember going, oh, "I'm fairly caned across here. If I come off, I'm probably going to break an arm." Well, I came off a few minutes later and I did break an arm, but that was just, that was a minor injury compared to everything else. What were the injuries, so, Joel? So the injuries, um, I guess we'll, we'll start top to bottom. Um, fractured skull, bleeding into my brain. Um, my right eye got a uh, penetrating eye wound and was subsequently sort of, um, the cornea was ripped. Uh, my nose was degloved, so I was pretty much just bleeding from the face immensely. I've got a, a lot of scarring across the uh, left side of my face from it. My ribs all penetrated my lungs and I was bleeding into my lungs also on both sides. So therefore that caused them to collapse. My forearms and my hands were all shattered. The longest bone left in my uh, forearms was actually hanging out of my right arm and it was about uh, three to four inches long. So, um, And then the one that, that really left me a paraplegic was the, uh, the spinal cord injury. So I shattered from T1, so my shoulders... Um, around shoulder level to T10 vertebrae, so belly button level, shattered all of that beyond repair, compressing the spine, and uh, and that's what resulted in the complete uh, injury. Wow, that's just bloody horrific. And so you're a T6 complete paraplegic. Yeah, so t- so the level of legion is what typically where you lose feeling or um, lose control. So T6 is a, just below the nipples, sort of in between belly button and nipples. So yeah. yeah. So what do you what do you remember of the the crash? Do you remember anything at all, or has your body has your brain blocked that out? A lot of it's been blocked. I do remember being in the ambulance and just sort of rattling on that someone would need to tell my chief that I uh, wouldn't be at work on Monday. Yeah. And um, I got really lucky. So I hit the parked car, and uh, the first person on the scene was from one of the local hospitals, St George uh, Hospital, and she was just returning from a uh, a night shift in ICU. Uh, so she was a critical care nurse, so she sort of controlled the situation, wouldn't let people take my helmet off, do you know what I mean, the work. So the damage was minimalized. So she came with me back to the hospital, waited with my family while I was uh, getting my nose all stitched up and all that. And then um, I, I really realized that I'd had the accident. Um, I was coming out of a coma and I was choking on the tubes as they were sort of bringing me to. And um, it hit me when... I've woken up and I've looked up, I've looked around and I've got a neck brace on, I've got an eye patch on, I've got tubes coming out my head. Um, my arms were strapped to uh, like the roof so that they were, I guess, minimizing the uh, the swelling in their arms because they couldn't actually sew my arms up because the amount of swelling, there was so much damage in, in all that tissue, it can result in further injuries if they sew it up and put a cast on. So they just had me hanging essentially trying to get all the blood out of all the swelling out of my arms. And it was right then when I sort of went, shit, it's bad. I could talk and I was conscious, but I wasn't, uh, I wasn't conscious of the full 
the, the gravity of what had happened. So and my body is, was numb. This is three weeks and, later, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's three weeks later. But by that time, I'd had over 36 hours straight of surgery. As I said, being the coma, everyone around me's lives had just been disrupted by my choice to, to speed. And um, that's another thing that, that this injury doesn't just affect me. It doesn't just affect the people that were there at the time. It affects everyone around me yeah. forever. Yeah, it's a cautionary. I mean, it's a cautionary tale. But just saying that bloody doesn't even do it justice. You know, I'm 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 used to horrific injuries. I guess um, you know, with with Afghanistan and 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 the like, and under you know, and seeing what I had to see, you're prepared for that, right? And you're prepared for it because it's it's part of the mental gymnastics of deployment preparation. But and that nurse is prepared to see things in the operating theater, but she probably wasn't prepared to see that out in the street of the Shire and you certainly weren't prepared to go through it. And so you knew what you knew that night, or sorry, you knew the night that you were coming out of the coma three weeks later that, that, that your world had changed, right? That that was, that was you forever changed, I think. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't understand the full gravity of it at that time, but uh, it certainly over the coming days, it, it definitely hit me. Um, you know, there was conversations with my partner and some conversations with doctors, conversations with my parents and, it's, it's unexplainable how you just think, oh, if I had to just slow it down or so many, so many factors came into play. The interesting thing about, about mine is I had, um, I went to Bunnings with, with dad during the day and um, I was coming home from that and I had in my backpack a drill and I was like, dad, these drills are too cheap to leave here. So we bought these drills and I've taken mine home. It's in my backpack and that's actually what I've landed on and shattered my back. The size of the box from the drill was actually what, destroyed my, my spine mm. so i've still got the drill it's a good drill don't use it that much but it's a good drill so it's a bit of good out of the bad i guess yeah it's an expensive drill righto so so th- there's the there's the uh there's the event there's the thing that's changed your life forever and on the other side of that is a story of well what what was a few seconds now there's a story of you know, resiliency and goal setting through that. And you've built this ability to to persevere through the worst of trauma and then into your life. Um, so what, why don't you talk about your recovery? How, how did that recovery, when did you, when did you actually devote yourself to the recovery itself? Like go, right, I'm going to need to make, I need to make something of this. There must've been a point where you, where you really got hold of it and went, right, I'm going to actually do this. I'm going to recover from this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So um, a few weeks went on and I was in very high care, but I was conscious and, um, you know, I was eating food again and, and that, and it was quite a trivial, trivial thing that led to the, the, I need to get better situation. It was, so uh, one of the nurses was, my arms are still in plaster, still strapped to the roof. Um, you know, I'm still in a neck brace, not functioning, but I'm eating. So the nurse is feeding me and she spilled something on me and I was just having a bad day. The headspace was understandably in a really bad space she spilled the food on me and i just snapped i absolutely snapped i i treated her very poorly didn't conduct myself as you'd want to conduct yourself and um gone crazy my partner at the time has left and gone this isn't you left and i'm just laying there in tears no one even to wipe my tears i couldn't even wipe my own tears spend that night sort of gathering thoughts and yeah i was quite upset that's when it really hit me my life had changed and super upset, super down. And then 
I dozed off. I don't remember falling asleep, but I woke up the next morning and I went, excuse me, nurse, I need to speak to my partner. So I, I gave Amy a call and I said, I'm going to get better. And she was like, oh, can you feel your legs? And I went, no, no, I can't, but this doesn't need to end everything. Do you know what I mean? We, we can do this. And um, from that point, I, I just didn't really look back. I, had, I still had the best part of sort of 12 months of recovery ahead of me, but with plenty of setbacks, but I, that's when I made that decision. And, you know, it was, it was hard. They were, the, they were the hardest days of my life. So something switched in your mind and you went, you know what, I can, this is, this is the new, this is the new normal and I need to start fighting. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's amazing. And I, I assume that at some point you started to work out that, well, you know, the power of consistency, I often say to people, consistency is one of the most powerful things that you can have if you want, you know, what now seems to be very fucking trivial um, things like <laughs> losing weight or bloody getting yourself ready for a sporting event. Um, but for you, th- th- that consistent application, you know, you've seen that firsthand. You've, you've re- recovered from a night where your parents were told you you'd basically wouldn't make it through the night and then, and then you've had these, these small consistent wins. You did make it through the night. You did. And then you were able to eat again at some point. And then you had these yeah. consistent little wins and you've seen a consistent wins get to the point where you're now, you know, working with, with you, with me and, and, and have a career and, and have a life back. But how did you start to understand the power of consistency and how goal setting works? So that was again, born through frustration. I, um, I'm not particularly fond of cold toast. And when you're in a spinal recovery unit, there's a lot of people that, are worse than you that need their toast buttered and need help to be fed. And I was often the last one to get my, my toast buttered and it was cold. And I went, well, somehow I'm going to butter this toast. So I got my mum to help me cut a little hole in my, um, in my car so that I could hold the knife and we practiced buttering the toast. And, um, it was a mess. There was a, a lot of mess, but we got it done. And then I went, well, if I can butter my toast, surely I can feed myself yogurt. And then I just little things like that. I was, Literally, the small things that are so in, inconsequential in your life, I, I just started trying to do them myself. And then uh, when you're in rehab, you, you have all these uh, goal-setting meetings and all that. And I sat there and I laid out about 100 goals for a week. And they're like, these goals, you're not going to meet these goals. And I went, well, no, you haven't seen me before. So I made that decision that once oh, I realized from the buttering the toast that, sure, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be tidy but it's going to get done. So I made that decision and setting these goals, these goals are goals like put my own shirt on and, you know, wash myself in the shower, all that sort of stuff, brush my own teeth, very trivial, super trivial, but they lay the platform. You, you get one win and then you go on to your next win. And that's sort of the, the methodology I've taken with all my goal setting is just try and fight for them small wins. You've seen how it works. So you, you get small incremental wins on the one goal and then, and, and what does that feel like when you're actually achieving those things? Like obviously warm toast is awesome, but what does it feel like when you're having those wins? Yeah. Well, I guess that's where you got to pull your drive from. And that's exactly what I did. It was just little things. I'm a, I'm a very competitive person. So um, there was other guys of similar ability in, uh, in the rehab unit like myself. And um, it was simply about, learning wheelchair skills, oh, I can do a wheelie for 30 seconds. Okay, man, I'm doing it for a minute. And it was little things like that. So the incremental wins, I guess they all chalked up to my competitiveness as well. So to me, to butter my toast, 
that was a win. Mm. That started my day off good, which meant, guess after I butted my toast and ate my yogurt, I'm going to brush my teeth myself. Mm. And that's the sort of foundation I laid was just continually hunting for that next win. Yeah. Oh, I see resilience as being formed out of two two ways generally. One is crappy upbringing and then you, you're slowly getting you know, you've got to be tough to get through that upbringing and then you get exposed to stuff. And another way is having a privileged upbringing and then and then suffering through training of some sort and you build resilience in those two ways. And, you know, and then, and then you come along and talk to me and it's like, well, resilience is adversity and it's human nature saying, well, no, I don't give up. And then for you to go through those incremental steps of things that we take for granted, we being able-bodied people are taking those things for granted you know me buttering my toast or 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 me being able to wash myself in the shower is not building resiliency um but for you it's like well here's this thing i can't do and i'm just going to keep going at it and 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 you're suffering all the time right through those things yeah so a lot of a lot of rehab is learning how to do things again Mm -hmm. Uh, you wouldn't think it's that hard to sit in a chair all day but it's phenomenally hard the smallest i guess the smallest little hill um, which you would think is nothing to step over is a massive deal in a wheelchair. And then you've got to add. So at the same time as I'm adding all these little goals, I'm also trying to recover, build strength in my arms from all the surgery and all the plates and everything that's in there. Everything's just got to be mapped out and carried out with other, other caveats in mind. So there was so much to the recovery, but I definitely cornerstone it to the support network and just not willing to give up. And, and have you got a strategy for goal setting now that you use? Yeah, so I, I still use the incremental um, goal setting. So there's no task that you can't break down and, and find little tasks in it. So um, a great example is my, my current sort of goal is to try and get to Invictus Games. So what I need to do there is, A, make an assessment of what I need to do to get there. And that is I need to be competitive in a number of sports. So I already play sports. I'm, I'm back into that side of my life. So to break that down, it's working on my skill set, working on what the guys did last year. So really networking and again, drawing on support networks to, to really get myself into. So the big goal of going to Invictus isn't actually a large goal. It's, it's all right. So this week I need to either road this far. Or I need to do this, this and this, and then they become a habit. So your, your small goals become a habit. And then once you've got your habit, you then look at moving, you know, to your larger goals, and I guess you you don't need an elephant in one bite. So it's really that mentality of just breaking everything down. You know, I just talked to uh, Sean Koba. He's the head strength and conditioning coach at Muay Thai um, in uh, Thailand, and um, one of the things we were talking about is, you know, consistency, obviously, and how Im- how important consistency is, but also um, you know, all the things around that, all that training around that and, and how motivation is fleeting but structure seems to be the key to keep you, to keep you moving even though you're not motivated. So a list of tasks um, that replace motivation. Would, would you, have you lived that? Have you seen that your motivation goes, just, just wanes, especially someone from a, that horrific sort of accident and then everything's a struggle but then if you've got a list of tasks, that structure sort of helps? Yeah. So, uh, again, back to the rehab situation, you know what you need to do to, to get out of rehab essentially. It's laid out to you. And then 
obviously the hospital, they limited resources, they break it down the best they can, but you need to go down to that smaller granular level, break all of them tasks down and turn it into your daily structure. That's exactly right. You definitely structure is a massive part of this. And ask anyone that knows me, I'm the most structured person you will ever get because that is how I need to live my life. And it, yeah. it helps me. That's how I, that's how I achieve goals is being structured. I feel like this rehab that you went through is like a bloody special forces selection that you'd never want to go through. It's the frame of reference that you never, ever want to have. But now that you've got it. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're, you're so resilient from having it that anything that you feel you probably can't do now, you can look back on that, on that rehab and go, well, fuck, I did this, so I can do that. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And I look, I haven't been for a selection, but I imagine the guys do the same. The guys going through it do the same. That was simple. Go, this is my end date. Yeah, I need to get through everything by my end date. Yeah. And I, I set that date in my calendar to get out of hospital, and um, and that's all I did. I worked towards that end date, and even the hardest days where I I couldn't get out of bed because I was just too sore or you know other health complications, I, I still went. Well, I've now got to catch up on today's goals tomorrow. Yeah, and I just maintained that checklist sort of structured idea. Yeah, and that's how you get there. Well, that's how I got there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sebastian Junger has written a book called Tribes. You may, you may or may not have read it. Um, what's really interesting to me is the the power that you can take from being around people who have got a similar, you know, similar issues or a similar. They're a similar flavour to you, you know, if you use for a better term. You know, soldiers quite often need to hang around with other soldiers, and and when they leave those other soldiers, that the part of them is missing. And and I assume that you became something of a of a mentor yourself to to some of those people in in rehab. Recovery. Yeah, I wouldn't say I tried to be a mentor as such, but it's just a natural thing, especially with the competitiveness. So it was like, oh, I can do a wheelie in my wheelchair, which again sounds very trivial, but it's a, a vital skill to get around to get around in a wheelchair. You literally cannot go anywhere if you can't wheelie. So it was more of a, yeah, we're all in this situation. And uh, look, admittedly, there was there were guys that were a lot um, harder done by than I was, and. It's, it's just a fact of life. So we all drew on that positivity of just kicking these small goals. We'd all sort of hold up in one room and watch the footy and all that sort of stuff together. And we sort of did, we built a tribe around us and then we, we created like-minded goals like, oh, let's see if we can push the shops tomorrow. The shops was maybe a kilometre away, but that's a massive feat when you're learning a wheelchair. Yeah. And we gradually just pushed these little boundaries that, that were sort of either self-imposed or imposed by hospital rules and that sort of thing. We, we gradually got there. Again, it was just that that mapping it down. What is it going to take for me to get there? Were you super motivated before the accident? Uh, I always liked to be the best or, or liked to be good at, at things. And um, I think that's just an influencing personality trait where I like to be an influencer. So you were, but you were competitive. At the same time, yeah, super competitive, but not, I guess so I wasn't um, super organized. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd iron my clothes the morning of. Mm. Anzac Day, even you know the biggest day of the year, I'd be doing my rig that morning. Yeah. So, so I was uh, talking to um, 
CrossFit Games athlete, uh, Kari Pierce, last year. And we were talking about how competitive she is. She's crazy competitive, as am I, <laughs> as are you. And I said to her, um, can you train that into people? And she said, no, straight out, no. You've either got that or you don't. You can't train someone to be super competitive. I agree. Yeah, I think that as unfortunate as the accident was, it's very fortunate that you are that competitive. Yeah, so sometimes that competitivity can be a real negative trait. Mm. But I, I need it to... Mm to be who I am, to, to just live my life. I, I need that feeling of, yes, I'm the best or people have noticed how good I am at something. Yeah. What are some of the frictions that you have day to day, just living day to day at the moment? What are some of the frictions that you have that just piss you off? It's not so much piss me off because I've been living with them for seven or eight years now, yeah. close to eight years. But things like to get dressed, I, I need to lay, on, lay in my bed and essentially squirm into my pants. Yeah. So... My perfectly pressed dress pants to go to work are not perfectly pressed by their own. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Little things like that, like um, pulling up to train station if I want to catch the train to work. It's all well and good. Anyone can catch the train. It's quite accessible, but you still need someone to get the ramp out for you and so you can get up that that step on the train and things like that. And then if they forget to tell the, the station you're getting off at, you've got to jump down the step and risk falling out of your chair, I guess. Oh, yeah. So it's just little little things like that where – you just got to plan your day to a T and uh, rely on your structure and rely on your learned skills. Yeah. What was your first job that you that you got into? So initially, um, I sort of went, well, I'm just going to give back. So I went and worked for Wheelchair Sports New South Wales and did their roadshow program. Um, and that was just going to schools and telling my story, similar to what I am now, um, and then playing wheelchair basketball with the kids. And um, after about 20 minutes in a wheelchair, they're sort of like, I do not want to speed. I don't want this as my life. Oh, and you're playing on a, on a flat court, which is the easiest pushing there is. And um, so that was, a, I did that for a couple of months and then I went, well, I, I need to press on my financial goals and, and all that sort of stuff. So I got a job as a debt collector. What? And, uh, as a what? Phone-based job. <laughs> yeah, so I was a debt collector and uh, right. did that for about five and a bit years. And What, going around people's houses with a baseball bat and... Threaten them for money? That that wouldn't be very uh, productive when you get to someone that's got a step or a hilly driveway. <laughs> um, yeah, cool. But yeah, f- phone-based. Uh, so you're searching for the, the customer and then you're calling them yeah. and you're essentially propositioning. You're saying, look, this has the effect to snowball your life mm. or we can come to some sort of arrangement mutually beneficial i get my i get my money back for the company and you know we move on you move on with your life essentially and you've learned a lesson from it so so So. really i guess there's a lot of misconceptions around debt collection and and from what i'm picking up from what you're saying is that a a debt collector is almost a a pseudo counselor and and someone whose whose job it is to to hear the issues and then to try and navigate a way forward yeah so you're getting these people at the the worst point in their life you know there's no one takes out a loan and says oh I am not paying this loan. Do you know what I mean? I, mm, yeah. I've got a brand new car, but I'm not going to pay for it. There's that mutual understanding that you are going to have to pay for it one day, regardless. So it's about sorting through all of that with the customer and then prioritizing to sure you, you want to go out to dinner with your friends, but to, this could draw into a lot longer and it could affect, you could have caveats put in your house, your wage, all that sort of stuff. So there's a, a range of enforcement options that, you, I guess you need to educate as well as take a little bit of understanding from that situation and, and just realize the gravity and, and help them realize the gravity. Were you working from home or were you in a, in a business? No, I was in, in the office. Um, yeah. So I worked for one of Australia's largest tech collection companies and there was about 30 people in that office, but they employ around 900 people um, Australia-wide. So and how were you received? 
there was another wheelchair that was there. She had a skiing accident uh, about 15 years ago and she'd been there since the company started. So all my sort of health issues that come along with being in a wheelchair and that, they were already tried and tested. So that wasn't too hard. It was more just breaking down the stigma of this guy's in a wheelchair. Do you know what I mean? And you've really got to let your personality fly there and, and just be willing to, I guess, take the leap and, and let people get to know you and get to know people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know myself, it's it's a shock to hear a young guy like yourself go through that horrendous experience. And I guess looking at someone in a wheelchair, we, we don't think to ourselves what could have led to that and what could, what was the misery and suffering that person went through for, or for you, not only those three months in a coma, but then... A, a year and a half or longer of recovery just to just to just to even be functioning um what have you learned about yourself in that time what's been the profound thing you've learned about yourself so I've, i think the the biggest takeaway i've had from this is i know my weaknesses and i know my strengths and i need to play on my strengths so you're not going to go see me running a marathon for example i can't run but i can definitely encourage people to run the marathon yeah. because I'm, I'm that sort of person and and I think that's a, a big takeaway as well is you've got to understand that, yes, you've got a physical weakness right now, but your mental your mental game is there. You can definitely, I'm very lucky to still have that ability and I need to, to just enhance on that skill and use it. Yeah, and so you, you can draw strength from encourage, encouraging others. Definitely, yeah. definitely. So um, I, I do it every day with veterans, uh, with you and me. So these guys, again, they they don't know what they're going to do when they get out. They just know that getting out is their best option or they assume getting out is their best option. Mm. So you've got to you've got to talk them through that. I, I got out by force. I, I didn't want to get out, um, but obviously I can't be on a ship in a wheelchair. Yeah. So my there's a lot of guys that are going through the same sort of medical discharge and no two cases are the same. And that, that's a massive thing you need to understand is that just because there's a, a wheelchair next to me, his situation is completely different to mine i guarantee his struggles are maybe somewhat similar but completely different at the same time what have you learned about other people through the process like i call it a process i don't mean to say it like that it sounds fucking terrible but what have you learned through the through, through the whole experience that you've had to go through um about society in general or about other people so i guess it's a a culture thing we have here in australia and people are willing to help if you ask and sometimes you don't even need to ask and it, it's people that you wouldn't expect to want to help you that, that always want to help. So a great example is to get in and out of my car, I need to pull my wheelchair apart and put it on the, the passenger seat. More often than not, I'm in a disabled spot. So therefore it's typically the, the older people that are in disabled spots as well as disabled people and they try and help you. Mm. But although they're making it harder for you because you have a process to pull your chair down and put yeah. it in so you can get it out yeah. the reverse, they're trying to help you. So it's, it's always that willingness to ask and don't be afraid to ask for, for help. Yeah. It's, there's definitely no, no weakness in going, I need to put your hands up and go, I need some help. Um, and the be people better. that know me, know me well enough, know, yeah. I don't even need to ask because I have asked for that, for help for yeah. one thing. For example, I don't do a coffee run on my own. Do you know what I mean? Someone has to carry the coffees. How would I hold coffees and push my wheelchair? Mm. So it's sort of just a given if someone comes for a coffee run with me, they're carrying the coffees. Yeah. And I mean, You'd think that Elon Musk could make an electric car where you, you could just roll straight in the back of it in your wheelchair. Come on, man. Yeah, it'd, it'd be all right because there's, there'd be no traction issues, would there? No, there you uh, go. You know, them Teslas, they power on so well. So but good. Not that you would be speeding in it, I would assume. No, because Do you push that message really hard to, to people that you meet about, uh, you know, about speeding? I mean, I know for a fact I'm going to go and have a talk to my kids later about 
driving and and like just from hearing your story, but you know, just to reinforce that message. But there are mm. rules there for a reason, aren't they? They're definitely there for a reason, and I guess it's not so much the speedy message because it can be. I, I know a guy in a wheelchair who didn't want to watch Home and Away, so he jumped up to grab the remote and tripped over his rug and broke his neck. So it's not so much that it's about the choices. Um, I still love speeding. I go to the track, you know, monthly. I still love the speed. That's my my rush. I love driving, but at the same time, it's you've got to you've got to understand the risk between what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? I'm I'm not about to go um, hit Eastern Creek speeds on on the streets. Mm. Do you know it's it's stupid. Mm. So and that's what got me here ultimately was a stupid decision to to ride like an idiot. Yeah. What um what mentors have you got in your life now? People that people that help you through, support you through it, that you look up to, and and are helping you shape the best future for yourself. Yeah, so a lot of people sort of look at a mentor as a, as only a, a career sort of choice. I've got obviously I draw my my mum and my dad as a sort of lifestyle mentors, and my partner as a lifestyle mentor. But I've got um one of my first bosses, Kim at uh, at Credit Corp, where I used to work as a debt collector. He was just a guy that would always do the right thing no matter how hard it is. And anytime I'm sort of a bit perplexed about something, I give him a call, Kim, what are you doing? Mate, let's have a beer. I need to catch up and have a chat about this. Mm. And then, I, so that's more of a, that's grown into a friendship more than a mentorship. But um, at the same time, you know, I've got my, my professional mentors that with you with me, um, the CEOs and the COOs. Like, I draw from their experience. Some of the things they've experienced, I've never experienced and probably never will in the gravity they have as well as outside industry. Just when you meet someone, a mentor doesn't need to be a, a fixed thing. Do you know, it doesn't need to be something where you go, you are my mentor. Mm. It can literally be catching up for a coffee and just going, Hey mate, how did you do this? Mm. And that comes back to the, the asking for help again. You, you've really just got to be willing to, to show your vulnerability. What's your role with, um, with you, with me? What's your daily role? So, yeah, so at the moment I'm a um, robotics process automation instructor and manager. So it's quite a boring topic, but at the same time it's super interesting. It's just turning manual tasks that you're consistently doing that don't need any brain power, getting a, teaching the software to do that and then moving, moving your own job onto something that's sort of more entertaining and requires a bit more thought. So my role there is I guide these students through, I answer any of their questions and, and typically just talk to people all day about not only RPA, but about discharge and about sort of networking. Again, these mentorships, how it's not as daunting as what everyone thinks it is, but pretty much just uh, face-to-face sort of stuff or, or the over-the-phone sort of stuff with veterans just to get them through the course so they can then um, open up career opportunities for themselves. Yeah, and are you seeing it make much of a difference to the to the veteran landscape um, with you, with me in um, intervention? Yeah, so we've definitely got a, a way of doing it. The majority of us are veterans, so we've been through it in one form or another and been through that transition process, that is. And uh, we've also been through that first day when you wake up and you, you're out of the military and you're like, what do I do now? Do I still shave? Mm. Do you, know, you, you just don't know what you're doing. And for those who haven't experienced, it's quite a surreal sort of thing. Even for myself, I hadn't been to work in a year and a half and mm. the day after I discharged, the 14th of um, December, I was like, what now? Mm. It was expected. I, nothing in my life had changed except for I was no longer A.B. Van der Swan. I was Mr. Van der Swan. It's just coming to that realisation. At the end of the day, we can lead you to the door, but we can't make you walk through it. Mm. Um, and that's with everything in life. Mm. 
And so you were talking about um, Invictus Games, and I'm quite excited for you about that. 2020. What are you? What sport are you looking at pursuing? So I I currently play wheelchair um, basketball and do a bit of indoor rowing. So I dabble in indoor rowing. Sort of was going to look at rugby as well because, as you know, it's overseas. It's in uh, Hague, so you've got a multi-sport to to really get in the team. They're only taking 30 people, so you've really got to be able to excel in in multiple sports. So the chair skills for rugby are there. Um, I play basketball as a, I'm not an athlete. I'm not great at it, but, um, you know, I can sit in a chair and I'm fairly tall. So um, get there for that. And indoor rowing, I've just recently completed a half marathon. Oh. Um, so 21, 21 Ks of um, on the rower. So it was a massive 166 minutes of rowing. Um, it's huge because yeah, when you, you do realize that I'm, in. you do realize I'm, I am now going to go and row a half marathon this week sometime just because you've, you've thrown the bloody gauntlet down. That's well, if you want to, if you want to level up a bit, you, you need to be strapped in the trail. So my rower, I've got a, yeah. um, adapted rower, just a concept yeah. two rower and it's got a fixed seat and I'm strapped across the chair, strapped in the legs and obviously at the feet. So I'm, I'm sewing machine just shoulders and biceps just Holy the whole time shit. so Hun- uh, 106 minutes just arms half marathon yes yeah, so <laughs> it took, look at i didn't do it in one block it took me um you know about six hours to yeah. do <sighs> it was but again it come down to to that breaking the task up i said to enough people i'm going to do this i'm doing this on friday there's a uh, a comp in the u.s um that i've entered into electronically I'm doing it regardless. And even on the day, I was like, oh, I've got such a task ahead of me. Yeah. But I, I broke it up. I went, all right. So I know that I can do, I think at the time I knew I could do a thousand in thousand meters in um, 10 minutes. And I was like, well, you know, I'm going to, I need to facilitate for time that I, I'm going to be sore and all that drag factors, all this stuff. So I just broke it down. And even on the rower, I'm like, all right. Sweet. Next 500 meters. Just get through the next 500 meters. Just continually resetting that goal. Amazing. Yeah. Man, it's become, it's a metaphor for what you've been through. Yeah, typically. It's sort of lost for words when you put it like that because I, to me, it's just how I live my life. Yeah. Just break everything up. I do, I do it in the shower every morning. I, I say to, to my partner, Ali, I'm like, so what are we doing today? And mm. she'll need to give me a breakdown of the day just to get through the day purely because this is how my head operates. I just need to break my day down. Mm. So I do it with workloads for, for work as well and, and taskings. I I just look at, I guess, a, a version of the mission analysis and just break it down. Hey, Joel, it's been awesome having you on the podcast, man. I want to thank you for, for your time and uh, hopefully we'll catch up in person when I come across that way. Yeah, mate, likewise, if I'm over there, then um, definitely catch up, have a beer and tell some more stories. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. It was amazing talking to you and um, so much to take away to think about. So thanks for that. No worries. Righto. Let me just wrap a few things up. Before I go, I just want to let you know that I'm teamed up with Patreon. This is so that you can donate assistance to the podcast. Obviously, putting all this together each week does come at a financial and a time cost. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can head to www.patreon.com forward slash warrioru. And you can throw in whatever you feel like. It's greatly appreciated. And there are some cool giveaways on the site too for different tiers of sponsorship. So please check it out. Um, thanks to my newest patron, Patreon donator, Marcus, for the $5 a month. Cheers, brother. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm just amazed that anyone's actually listening to the podcast at the end here to even go to Patreon. But obviously you did, so cheers, man. Um, 
Right, and finally, just to end the show, this week the podcasts I've personally listened to have been as follows. I've listened to the Rich Roll podcast. It was a really great one with his dad. It was, um, it was worth listening to. The Jocko Willick podcast, of course, and I listened to How I Work by Mantha Imber. Righto, thanks everyone. And remember, live a life worth living. Catch you later. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.